Well, good morning. Good to be together. Glad y'all are here. Um, you know, every, every Sunday after we get set up and before we start practicing uh, with the worship team and getting everything going, uh, we just spend some time praying together. And I just recognize that, that all of us, whether it be uh, if you're leading this morning or just coming and just participating, we all come from different situations. Some of us have a lot of highs this last week. Some of us might've had some, some lows. I know we have people that have been sick this last week, just, just, uh, just a lot of stuff going on. But, but I'm just so thankful that, that this is a safe place where Jesus reigns. Jesus reigns everywhere, but like right here, like we're like, that is the focus, is, is, is God reigning over our lives. And so no matter who you are, no matter why you're here, you're here for a reason. God brought you here, uh, whether it be in person or those that are online or, or watching or listening to it later on. And so we just want to, to be open to what Jesus wants to do uh, in us and through us this morning. So, um, so last week, um, Nicole and our family uh, went on vacation with her family, and uh, we went to Branson, Missouri. Um, somebody was talking with me this morning, they said, what's Missouri like? Because the name sounds like misery, you know? And I was kind of like, well, if, if, if 100 degree weather and 100% humidity is your thing, then it's not misery. But if it's not, then yeah, it's, it's kind of miserable. But, but it, we had such a fun time. We had a house, uh, Nicole's parents got a, the family a house on Civil Fork Lake, and, uh, or Tibble Fork, Tibble Fork, yeah, the, the, uh, the there you go, Tibble, uh, Table Rock Lake, there you go, um, but, uh, but it was so much fun, we stayed in this little community that had a swimming pool right across the street from the house, and on the last night, we, we went swimming, uh, with Nicole and, and me and the kids and the cousins and everything like that, and it was crazy because when we got out there, there was, uh, some people in the pool already, and it was a bunch of adults. I think they were couples, not 100% sure, uh, but they were kind of all over each other, um, all over each other in the making out kind of way, but then also in the fighting kind of way, and then making out and fighting and making out, and kind of, kind of like, okay, who goes with who here? You kind of get in the picture that I'm kind of painting, uh, wink, wink, you know, like, and, and I'm just sitting there thinking, how sad. Like, I don't know about you, but like vacation for me is a sacred time because we work hard. And so we want to play hard. We want to, we want to be refreshed. We want to be rejuvenated. And I, and I just looked at these, these grown adults that were acting like adolescents with, with no like filter. And, and, and I was sort of like, that is refreshing for you. Like y'all are like so drunk right now. You're not going to remember what happened. And, and trust me, that's probably for the best because you don't want to remember what you're looking like right now, you know, not to be judgy, but like, like really, come on. And then finally they cleared out and we're kind of like, we're having a fun time with the family. And all of a sudden this, this other family comes in and it's, it's a couple, it's a husband and wife about uh, maybe a little bit older than me. So still pretty young. Um, hey, that wasn't a joke. Come on. So <laughs> there you go. Um, so, so it was really cool because it was like an, an older couple to have a little three-year-old kid, right? And they come bopping in there and, and it's awesome because the dad hops in the pool and the boy just goes running across. It was like, hey, no running, punk, you know? But it was, all of a sudden I realized he was running and it looked like he was running a little bit awkwardly. And I realized it was because his arms were severely deformed. And his arms were really short. He had maybe a couple of fingers on each one and they kind of went every which direction. And so as he's running, it was just kind of like, blah, 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 like that, you know, and, and he, 
And the dad jumps in the pool. He goes, okay, go for it. And this boy literally sprints up the water slide and just jumps in. And I can hear his voice bellowing out of the little tornado slide thing. And it's like, wee! all of a sudden he comes out, bam, hits the water. And he just pops up like, ah, I did it, you know? And his dad's like laughing and he's laughing and he goes, okay, now kind of swim to the edge. And I don't know, I'm not a good swimmer and I have two very large arms. I don't know how the kid did it, but he literally would kind of kick himself and swim over to the edge. And I thought, oh gosh, now what's he going to do? He literally takes his arms, he hooks them into the ladder and just climbs out and then hops up ta-da, and then just runs back up. And the whole time the mom is just laughing and taking pictures and I'm, I'm watching as the dad just keeps on egging this kid on and just, just having fun with them and like, come on, you can do it. And he goes, daddy, daddy, no. And he goes, you got it, you got it. And you kind of throw him over. And I was kind of like, oh my gosh. But it was this beautiful picture of a dad and a mom and a kid that had this severe limitation that they didn't even know about. Because to them, there was no limitation. And he kept on squealing for joy. And as I was sitting there, all of a sudden I had this thought. Maybe it was a voice. I don't know because this doesn't happen to me a ton, but it was, it was a voice. God was saying something to me. And I say that with humility because I'm not like the super, like God told me, you know, type person. But it was God definitely saying, Jason, I'm going to use this kid to touch a lot of lives in his life. I was like, how cool. That's awesome. I grew up, my youth pastor was a, was a paraplegic diabetic. He was like, his limitation was actually the platform for what God wanted to do. I was like, man, that little three-year-old kid there, that's awesome, God, way to go. And then came the second sentence, go encourage them by sharing that with them. It's like, nah, <laughs> I don't want to be the weird creeper in the pool. So like, dad, remember on the vacation when that really big Sasquatch looking guy came over and was like, God's going to do something great through your life. You know, I was like, no, 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 no. And I was kind of like, oh my gosh, no. I was like, but wait a minute. I don't want to be disobedient. So I thought, okay, I'm going to go to the bathroom over here, even though I didn't need to. I'm just going to go walk in there. I'm going to close the door. I'm going to count to like 60. And then if I come out and they're still there, then I'm going to, I was like, what am I, Jonah? Like, come on. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, I'm by a lake. There's probably a sea monster in there somewhere that's going to come grab me and like spit me out somewhere, right? But I came out and sure enough, that kid was still, ah! just laughing. And so I went over and I just said, hey, I'm, I don't want to weird you out. I, I, I mean this in... In, in sincerity, but I'm a follower of Jesus and I love him with all my life. And, and sometimes God talks to me really directly. And, and I was just sitting over there watching you guys. And I said, I just feel like God wants me to tell you that God is going to use your son to touch a lot of lives. And the mom starts bawling. I'm like, never again, God, never again. <laughs> I officially am the big weirdo, right? And as she, as she kind of got control of herself, she said, can I tell you our story? Because you have no idea how much of a miracle this is. And long story short, uh, this is a second marriage for both of them. He, the husband had adult children and, and was, was divorced. And then he, she was married before, but she couldn't have kids. And, and then she was divorced and they met each other. And, um, and, uh, uh, they, and, and it was funny. It was like, well, I have adult kids. You can't have kids. The guy says, brother, I thought I was in the clear. <laughs> I was like, Oh, okay. And he says, boom, she gets pregnant. And here she is in her mid upper forties pregnant with this kid. And they said, well, at least the pregnancy looks kind of good. Everything looked good on the, on the ultrasounds and everything like that. And then they, they gave birth 
And out comes this beautiful little baby with these severely deformed arms. At that moment, if I put myself in their shoes, I'm like, God, really? Really? This is not the plan that I wrote. This is not the script of the play that I want to live out. I mean, really. But they said they too were followers of Jesus. And they said the second they saw their baby boy, they were overcome with joy and peace and hope. And they named him Solomon. And I was like, of course your name is Solomon, you stud. You know, like, you're such a strong little dude. And, and they, they literally, they, they said he's one of the strongest little boys that they've ever met in their life. He's three years old. And they said, you can't keep him down. Like, he's mischievous and ornery and full. And he never stopped smiling. And when I said, when I started talking with him, he just looked me right in the eye. And he's like, he's like just orneriness. And I'm like, I love this kid. And, and I said, I said, do you know Jesus? And he goes, yeah. And I said, I think God wanted me to tell you that he's going to touch a lot of lives through you. And he kind of just smiled kind of like, okay, you know, but the mom said that when he was born, they were overwhelmed with a sense of God is going to use Solomon. And she goes, when you came over and just shared that with us, that was just huge confirmation. And so then I started bawling, <laughs> but they were committed to raise their child to see that God uses struggles for our growth and his glory. Amen? Amen? God uses struggles for our growth and his, and his glory. This morning in the section of Colossians that we're going to pick up, we're going to see that, that Paul points the Colossians to the same conclusion. Last week, birthday boy Drew talked about how Jesus is supreme. There is nothing more powerful than Jesus. He has no limitations. He is not an imitation. He is the real deal. And then in, uh, in where, where Drew closed off or wrapped up last week in Colossians 1.23, Paul says that, that he is a, a servant to Jesus. And his number one priority is to proclaim the word of the good news of Jesus. Now, to be a servant means that, that if I say I'm a servant, that means I am taking on the identity of a servant. That means that I am, I am here as a, as a humble person, as selfless. I am devoted. I am executing the command of my master. That is why I am here. And so Paul identifies himself as a servant of Jesus. And so we pick up the section today. Uh, and I want us to keep in mind that Paul is saying that he is a humble, selfless, devoted, sacrificial servant who is executing the will of his master. And so this morning, as we dig in, um, once again, Paul uses this chiastic structure where it's A, B, C, C, B, A. We're going to see that kind of play out and kind of help us to see what the main points are in this passage. So you can join in with me up here. Or, or if you have a Bible or your phone or whatever, you can join in with that too. So we're going to start in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Paul says this. He goes, I am glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. So here is Paul, a servant of Jesus, and he's talking about suffering. We're going to get more to the suffering in a bit. But he starts off, he, he wants to set the stage of saying, I rejoice. I am joyful with what I am, what, with what I'm doing, with who I am, with what I'm doing with my life. I am joyful. I want you to know that I am very joyful about who Jesus is and what he's doing. He loves what he does and he's beyond excited about it. Verse 25 through 27. 
God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. For, what God, uh, for, for God wanted them to know that the riches of, and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. So he starts off, he says, rejoice. And then the second part is this. Why? Jesus. Rejoice because of Jesus. His mission is to tell people about the message of Jesus. Now notice, Paul says, I am a servant of Christ, and my job is to serve the church. He, he wants to give his life for the church. Why? Because the church is important. A lot of times we kind of get the church as the most important thing. And, and maybe some of us have come from situations to where even the, the, the word church brings up PTSD. Because churches can be messy. Churches can be abusive. Churches can be controlled by, by psychotic leaders, Right. Or, or very well-meaning leaders that maybe go sidetrack. And, and so sometimes we think church, but, but one of the things that we really want to do is to let God define his church. And to, to hold that as the standard of, of saying, maybe this has been my experience, but God, what is your heart? You instated the, the, the idea of a church. What do you want from that, right? And so, so Paul says, I serve the church because it's a great way to get the word of Jesus out. People that are seeking after Jesus are the best billboards for who Jesus is and what he wants to do. But he's very particular about his message. He wants to make sure that he's accurate, that he's truthful, that he's addressing the things that try to creep in. And, and Drew did a great job of talking about that last week. You had, you had the mystery religions and you had Gnosticism and you had some other heresies that were trying to hijack this Jesus movement of, oh, I like this Jesus guy. He's pretty popular. This movement is growing. And so I'm going to piggyback onto that and see if I can parasitically hijack it. Genius, right? I mean, how many times in the history in the last 2000 years have people hijacked the Jesus movement to serve their dreams, their goals, their desires, instead of saying, Jesus, this is your body. What do you want from it? And so he kind of pokes fun at these mystery religions and Gnosticism and some of these other, because they claim to have secret they have the real truth. They have a deeper understanding. And if you want to be completely woke or awake, sign up with us because we'll show you the true way. And he gets very conspiratorial, right? And Paul's kind of like dummies. <laughs> I think that's in the Greek, I think is, is in there. You want to know the secret? Jesus lives in you. Jesus, the Christ, died for you to cover your sins, and then you surrender your life to him, and you get freedom now and forever. That's the secret, period. And so he's very, he's very insistent on that nothing is hidden. Nothing is out of bounds. Nothing is, oh, we can't talk about that with you because you're not initiated enough into this thing. And you get what I'm saying? Like he says, nothing is hidden. It was hidden. It wasn't like, oh, God's kind of like, I don't want you to know about this. It's really like, just wait, just wait, just wait, just wait. You're going to love this. You're going to love this. And then boom, Jesus comes along. Ah, now it all makes sense. The plan of salvation was revealed because it was fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is the only way to God. And it's open to everyone 
that surrenders to him. That is the good news, is it doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what other people say about you. Guess what? Jesus loves you. You could be like Saul, who becomes Paul and writes this letter, who actually actively killed Jesus's followers. If there was anybody in the Bible that should have been canceled, wasn't it Saul? No, he goes on to write half the New Testament. (laughs) Because Jesus is about grace and transformation and mercy and love. Not mamsy-schmamsy like, hey, you do you. No, 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 no. I'm going to knock you off your horse and blind you so that you can truly see me. Because I've got to transform all the crap that you've been involved with and help you to see who the real me is. It's easy to forget the power of sin. Sin is destructive. It's corrosive. It's corrupting. A lot of times we don't take it very seriously. We justify it. We rationalize it. We excuse it. We foster it. We cultivate it. Because it feels good in the moment. We need to take sin really seriously. We're going to see that in a little bit. But the good news is that Jesus is more powerful more powerful than anything that we've struggled with. And now we get to the C, Colossians 1, 28 and 29. So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to represent that we want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. That's why I work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. There's a couple things going on here, but the big thing is here is he's saying he's struggling. So rejoice. Why? Because of Jesus. And now what? There's a struggle. There's a struggle. Being a servant can be a struggle. The Greek word here for struggle means labor, wearisome toil, exhausting effort. Paul literally gives everything, including eventually his own life, to serve the church to, to, to preach the good news, to reveal that to everybody that he knows. Why is it so hard? Maybe Paul should have found a more posh church, right? Better facilities, better pension, better staff, you know, a little bit more better protective services, things like that, right? But no, he wants to do two things. He says, I want to warn and I want to teach. The word warn literally means to warn. That's where we get into the bad news. Guys, sin is real. Sin is real. Just watch the news. Just walk around. Sin is real and it's destructive. We have to realize that there is bad news and we want to be warned of the bad news. If someone didn't warn me about something that I was getting into, I'd be kind of resentful towards that. Wait, if you really love me, why didn't you warn me about this? Right? But that's not the final word. The final word is the teaching. This this word teaching literally means to instruct, to instill to guide, to disciple. That's where we get this idea of discipleship. It's not always easy or fun to point out the the bad things, right? It's not always easy to do that. 
And it's not always easy to come into somebody's life and say, hey, what about this? Let's try this and let's talk about this and let's work on this, right? Like, it's just easier just to kind of keep our spaces. Like I once heard just to have emotional Barney arms, right? Oh, hey, how are you today? You know, and, and we kind of like, you know, hey, it's good to see you. We'll see you later, you know, instead of getting into the mess of each other's lives, right? It can be messy. It can be hard. It can be painful at times. We don't want to step on toes. We don't want to offend But yet real freedom comes when we pray that prayer of search me and know me, oh God, find any offensive way in me. If there's anything that is not in line with your will, reveal it to me and then guide me in your way everlasting. It's painful when we pray that prayer of of wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses, right? Proverbs 27, 6. When we open ourselves up to being wounded by people who love us, amazing things happen. I always say someone coming at you with a knife can either be an, a murderer or a surgeon. And, and if you can trust who that person is, let them perform surgery on you. Trust them. Make sure, I mean, make sure they're not psychotic first, right? But, but that's discipleship. That is what discipleship looks like. Are we connecting in each other's lives? Are we, are we being vulnerable with each other? Are we letting each other in in significant ways? That's why we love like men's group and, and women's group and, and community, uh, uh, connect groups and, and just, just connecting with each other on an everyday basis. It's not just this. This is just one expression of who we are. The real stuff happens throughout the week. I love in the commentary that I was using, they had this quote, the best defense against deception is discipleship. We wonder why we're caught off guard. We wonder why we feel dry. We wonder why we feel like we're at wit's end. We wonder why things crumble apart. Are we being discipled? Are we taking ourselves to the foot of the cross and saying, Jesus, what do you want right now? What do you have to say about this? And how can I have friends, significant people speak into our lives when we need it the most? We need to deepen and grow our faith, our understanding, our relationship with God, so we don't fall for camouflaged counterfeits. And then I love how, how Paul kind of pokes some fun again at the mystery religions. And, and, and he says that, that they, you know, they say they have this secret knowledge. He says, I want to present them as perfect in their relationship with Christ. That is a direct dig at the religions of his day, because they were all about follow us and you'll be perfect, right? You'll be perfect. And he says, Jesus makes you perfect. Let's go. And it's kind of this thumbing in the chest of of who they are. And and that word perfect literally means to complete, to be full, to be mature, to be finished, to be consummated. It is finished. Jesus is sovereign and Jesus makes this possible. Then Paul starts to go back through the chiasm again in in Colossians chapter 2, verse 1. He says, I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and for the church of Laodicea, and for many other believers who have never met me personally. That word agonized, um, that's, that's struggle. The Greek word agon means agonized. It literally means uh, that you're in a game, you're in a battle, you're in a fight. And Paul is constantly struggling and fighting for the people that Jesus has said, help these people. He's willing to stay in the game for these people, even when it's agonizing. Why? 
verse two through four. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I'm telling you this so that no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. Again, there's going to be a struggle, but it's okay because we're with Jesus. Jesus is our main message. He is the center of everything. Jesus is the key. And then he wraps it out in verse five. He says, for though I am far away from you, my heart is with you. And I rejoice that you are living as you should and that your faith in Christ is strong. Again, he closes out with rejoice. He's excited by the fact that they, that they know who Jesus is and, and the struggle is going to be okay. There's purpose to that. And they can find joy in that. So here's a couple takeaways from this passage. Number one, Jesus is the key to everything. No matter in the highest of highs or the lowest of lows, Jesus is the key. Everything hinges on Jesus. Anything else that we add to that is distracting and taking away from it. We need to treat it accordingly. Again, our, our, our culture is so focused on, on <laughs> and I don't know how else to say it other than either being woke or awake. But Jesus isn't something that's hidden. There's nothing secret about it. Jesus says, come to me and I will teach you. When somebody says, what's the greatest commandment? What's the key, Jesus? And he goes, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you live out these two commands, you don't need a bunch of secret formulas or equations. Because when we genuinely love, truth matters. Forgiveness matters. Transformation matters. Freedom matters. Forgiveness matters. All those things are spelled out from love. We don't need, I was asked this week, and I'm going to go just a little bit towards the edge here. <laughs> Forgive me. We have a lot of new people here. going to be like, oh gosh, where's he going? <laughs> I was asked this week, um, hey, uh, what kind of church do you guys have? Do you guys talk a lot about politics and cultural issues and things like that? Or do you kind of believe that the Bible should be separate from ethics issues? And I was kind of like, no, I, I, I think that's a really, really good question. And I think there's a lot of stuff going on in our world where there's a lot of, it was a very, very good question. But I was, I was thinking about it. I was like, no, we don't talk a lot about political things specifically. We don't endorse or embrace publicly a certain candidate or a certain issue or, or, or things like that. What we do endorse is Jesus. And Jesus will form the way we engage every aspect of culture, every aspect of politics, every aspect of, of, of our surrounding, everything is filtered through Jesus. Not our understanding of, of the way I like to picture Jesus is wearing a tuxedo t-shirt and, you know, he's at a party, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, 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 no. Who is Jesus of the Bible? And so we don't have to, because guess what? If we're digging into God's word, we're going to surrender ourselves to his will, to his love, to his message, to his truth, to his transformation. 
And everything else is transformed through that. And that's the stance that we've taken. It's kind of like, hey, you think this, you think this? Okay, let's go to Jesus. Let's have a discussion. Let's talk about it. What does Jesus have to say about these things? Jesus is the key to everything. Satan wants to rip us apart. He wants us to turn on each other and to cannibalize each other. All he has to do is plant a little bit of seeds of conflict, a little bit of, of, of um, little grains in there. And our human nature is kind of take over from there. And I think that's why Paul says in Colossians chapter two, verse two, he agonizes over them being knit together by strong ties of love. That's what he wants for the churches that he teaches. That is powerful. We need to spend time together digging into God's word, to worshiping, to being discipled, and to discipling each other. So number one, Jesus is the key to everything. Number two, Jesus uses struggles for our growth and his glory. If Jesus is supreme, if he is sovereign, if he is more powerful than any circumstance we will ever face, we can grow through it. He will not give us anything that he cannot handle. It might hurt us, but a lot of times we find ourselves in the furnace that is actually burning out the impurities. That doesn't sound like much fun, and guess what? It's not. It's embarrassing. It's hurtful. It's hard. It's confusing. It's complicated. But when we face struggles, we see that God actually grows us in those wilderness desert experiences. And guess what? He gets the glory. Now, my human nature says, but I want some of the glory because I'm the one who went through it. I want to be recognized for how good and unique and special and amazing I am. Well, I need to check my heart because God is the one who gets the glory for what he does in us. And we get to have freedom through his glory. Last, we can find true joy in the middle of it all. God doesn't want to just give us a book of lists of do's and don'ts. Here you go, make yourself a good person. Here you go, stick to it or else. He wants us to find joy in the middle of all of it. Again, we have a sovereign savior who we can trust, who loves us, that even when things are, are as hard as we can imagine, we realize that suffering is temporary. Suffering is temporary, but it can result in great things. And we can find hope and peace and ultimately joy in the midst of all of it. I think sometimes we, we kind of talk about how it's hard to have a good theology of suffering. And I remember the first time I heard that several years ago, I was like, wait, what's a theology of suffering? And you're like, exactly. <laughs> we don't know. A lot of times our de facto theology of suffering is, well, bad things are happening. Either one, I must have done something wrong or two, God must not be that good. And that's the extent of it. And so either we beat ourselves up because we think, hey, I must be that bad that God doesn't want to help me right now. Or we're kind of like, you know what? Forget you, God. Like, you must not be that great or you don't really love me. So, you know, go take a hike, right? But instead, we need to have a theology of suffering that says God is sovereign through it all. I don't think he causes every issue that happens in our lives. I think we just do a good job of getting ourselves and each other into messes. 
but God is sovereign through every step of it. And we can trust him. We are his servants. He is our master. He leads us to freedom and love and joy. Jesus is that good. So like little Solomon, bouncing around in the pool, climbing out the edge, fearlessly tearing down the slide over and over and over again. Do we trust the goodness of Jesus? Is he the center of our lives? When we, when we get into situations, when we just think, man, I don't know how to take my next step, how my next breath is going to fill my lungs. Do we look to our father and say, God, you're good. I trust you. You have this and you're going to do something through it. What struggles have sidelined us? What, what issues have we experienced that, that maybe that we're kind of like, no, I'm going to take a break for a while. I'm just going to kind of slide off to the side here. I'm going to take a break. Or on the other side of that, how have struggles drawn you to Jesus to find the healing, to find the forgiveness, to find the transformation, to find the freedom that he wants us to experience on a daily basis? What things have we added to Jesus that actually distract us from him? What things do we try to cling to that all of a sudden we realize, wait a minute, this isn't Jesus. I'm holding on to this whole other thing that is actually drifting me away from Jesus. What are we willing to do with those things? How does the, the fact that, that Jesus lives in us radically transform us? How does that reality redirect every aspect of our lives? How does that form our sense of identity and purpose and mission in our everyday life? And how does Jesus want us to follow him to share his message with everyone around us? We have a strong DNA of this call to grow disciples, to be disciples who love God, love people, serve the world. It's not just a catchy slogan. It's not just a great little marketing slogan. It is who we are. It's what Jesus calls us to. We want to be discipled. We want to be able to, to receive warnings and to give each other warnings of just saying, hey, you know, watch out here, but then also to teach, to instruct, to instill, to guide each other towards loving God, living lives of worship, where we know he loves us and he invites us to love him in return, to love people because that vertical relationship was always intended to spill over horizontally into the lives of the people around us. And then to ultimately join in with what he's doing by serving the world. That is who we are. That's who we want to be every day. That's my prayer for myself. That's my prayer for all of us. I hope we can continue to grow in that together. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your love. I thank you for the fact that you, you meet us wherever we're at. God, you bring healing. You bring wholeness. God, sometimes that can hurt. Sometimes we have to go through the storm to see you calm it. Sometimes we have to hop out of the boat to see what you're able to do. But God, I pray that you just work in us. God, I pray that we can be your hands and feet in northern Utah County. 
God, that we can join in with your mission. And, and especially when it gets hard, especially when things get tricky, especially when we're being attacked from every side, God, we know that you are sovereign over that. God, every single one here online, watching or listening later, God, you love them. So God, help us to surrender to that. Help us to find peace and hope in the middle of all that. God, use the situations that we're in right now to reveal your goodness, your glory, and change us along the way. God, we love you.